Well, welcome everyone. Thank you. I'll call to order the meeting of the Palm Desert City Council's successor agency to the Palm Desert Redevelopment Agency and Housing Authority for May 25, 2023. Uh, do we have any public comment on closed session items? No public comment, Madam Mayor. Then we will adjourn to closed session. Good afternoon, and thank you for uh, being here to help us do the people's work. I will reconvene the May 27, 2023 meeting of the Palm Desert City Council Successor Agency to the Palm Desert Redevelopment Agency and Housing Authority. Uh, roll call, please. Councilmember Harnick. Here. Councilmember Nistandi. Here. Mayor Pro Tem Quintanilla. Present. Councilmember Truby. Here. Mayor Kelly. Here. All councils present. Mayor Pro Tem Quintanilla will lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance, followed by inspirational remarks from Councilmember Harnick. Please stand if you are able. Good afternoon. Uh, today I had the opportunity to attend a luncheon celebrating four local women who have done great things for our community and are tremendous role models. The speaker was excellent and she used the microphone not to necessarily influence but to inspire. And some words she said today and she is a cutting edge Navy pilot, 
And she became a pilot probably 40 years ago, so we can imagine a woman at that time as a pilot. And then she became a trainer for other pilots. Very impressive woman. But she said something that I, I wrote down because I thought it was so good, and it's something that we can all keep with us every day and think about it in everything we do, and it's simply this. Habits on a good day are our instincts on a bad day. So we all have that opportunity to have those great habits that will save us on our worst day. Thank you. Thank you. Is there any report from closed session? Good afternoon, Mayor. Uh, the council did discuss the items on the closed session agenda this afternoon, but there was no reportable action. Thank you. Uh, we have the great honor this afternoon to issue a proclamation recognizing our public works staff. Uh, they are one of the most vital parts of our city services. We count on having good infrastructure. Of course, we see the roads, but much of what they work on is unseen. Uh, flood control, the graffiti, which is kept out of sight uh, through their consistent maintenance. So would uh, public staff, public work staff, please come forward. This is a sampling of the hard-working public work staff who serve all of us in Palm Desert. Whereas public works professionals focus on infrastructure, facilities, and services that are of vital importance to sustainable and resilient communities and to the public health, high quality of life, and well-being of us. And whereas these infrastructure facilities and services could not be provided without their dedicated efforts, including engineers, managers, and employees, and whereas it is in the public interest for citizens, civic leaders, and children to gain an awareness of the importance of public works. Therefore, I as mayor, on behalf of Palm Desert, along with the entire city council, recognize this week as National Public Works Week. Let's express our appreciation.
for coming. These are mostly folks who prefer doing to sitting, so it's a sacrifice to come. Uh, city manager comments. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, I would like to ask uh, Tom Soule, our public affairs manager, to come up and brief the public and council on some of the efforts that In Progress is making towards the uh, 50th anniversary update. <laughs> Good afternoon, Honorable Mayor and members of the City Council. I'm Thomas Sowell, your Public Affairs Manager, here to give you a brief update on the anniversary planning. Um, I wanted to let you know that a request for information and RFI went out on May 15th, looking for an event planner to help us plan our big celebration on November 18th. Um, the goal for us is to bring to the Council a contract for approval on the June 22nd Council meeting and then get to work with them. The request is being sent out through the OpenGov system, and we're also proactively inviting people to apply, but we want to invite anybody who has an event production. So if you know of anybody or if anyone's listening, we'd love to hear from them on that. The RFI closes on June 8th, so the clock is ticking. We're also currently in the process of firming up all the community activities that will be included in the fall from September through November so that we can uh, put things on our calendar and help promote them. So we'd also like to invite any community organizations that have anything uh, to reach out to us. And the easiest way to do that is by sending an email to info at palmdesert.gov. That's the update, thank you. And thank you. No more at this time, Mayor, thank you. Thank you. Um, Mayor and Councilmember reports and requests for action starting with Councilmember Nestante. Thank you, Mayor. I have no requests for action or reports at this time. Thank you. Mayor Pro Tem Quintanilla. Thank you, Madam Mayor. The reports that I have to bring forward in regards to meetings for the Coachella Valley Association of Governments, in particular public safety and homelessness. And it was very interesting to see not only how they go hand in hand, but the efforts that Riverside County has in conjunction with the hard work that our, our cities do, but in particular the director of social services that we have here in Palm Desert who's very innovative and has a um, very forward-looking approach into incorporating his experience. So I'm, I'm hoping that we will be able to have a brief presentation either from CVAG or from the County of Riverside with, with some quick infographs to explain to our residents and our guests that we are aware, we are working towards it, and some basic information to express that we are aware of the need and we are working towards it. Thank you. Councilmember Drupi. All right, thank you. Um, in between our committee interviews this uh, past week, I was able to quickly get over to a, uh, what's known as the Trails Maintenance Subcommittee of uh, the Coachella Valley Conservation Commission. And what they're trying to do, uh, or the formation of that group, is in, the intention is 
two, because we have over 150 trails valley-wide between Desert Hot Springs all the way down towards the Salton Sea and Mecca, is they want to get, even with 150 trails, they're starting to get impacted with usage, and there's some confusion about who can use what, when, mountain bikers, hikers, dog walkers, et cetera. So what they want to do is form a universal set of rules, kind of like the Coachella Valley Multi-Species Habitat Conservation Plan, where it's, the, all, it's a universal rule applied to all trails. So they're working on that to, to alleviate any confusion and also work on trail maintenance. And I know mountain bikers are in, getting involved and hikers. So if you're interested, uh, their next meeting won't be until September. But certainly, I think it's a worthwhile cause because um, there's a lot of great outdoor recreation. And we'll make sure everybody can get up there and enjoy it with an understanding of what the rules are. So look forward to that. If you want to, uh, Coachella, Valley, Coachella Valley Conservation Commission as part of the CBAG. So there we have it. Great. Councilmember Arnick. Thank you. I think I'll mention on the heels of what Councilmember Truby just mentioned, uh, it is rattlesnake season in our trails, on our mountainside. So those of you who maybe take your dog up there, it is required that dogs are on a leash when they are on the trails. And it is more important than ever during rattlesnake season. So please make sure that you keep your dog on a leash on those trails. Also on those trails, I did the cross hike the other day, which is a wonderful hike. And while I was up there, I noticed unfortunate graffiti. Someone had gone up there and spray painted the side of the mountain. And I want to remind everybody we have Palm Desert In Touch, an app that you can put on your phone. So I took a picture of that, I followed the instructions, and the next time I went up for my hike, our public works team had taken care of it. And that graffiti was gone. So everyone, download that app. You'll use it, I promise. And it helps us do a better job in the city. Uh, I did want to mention that I went to the BEAD, the state BEAD workshop, and BEAD is Broadband Equity, Access, and Deployment. It was in San Bernardino, and it was really so that we could speak up for our community members in the Coachella Valley, making sure that we have appropriate broadband connectivity for everybody. And of course, during COVID, we recognized how important that connectivity is. Uh, and we're making great progress, and it, it's, there's money available from the federal government for this, and we want to make sure that we get it in California to make sure everybody has safe, accessible, uh, and, a, and, and reliable uh, broadband. I did want to mention, and I, I'm not sure maybe the mayor is going to talk about it, but quickly I will say we did have the state of the city, and I hope a lot of you were able to attend. The team at the city who put together the videos and did all the production did an outstanding job, and our mayor brought it home beautifully. So thank you, and I hope you were able to see that. And well, that's what I've got. Well, the housing authority tour, but I'll leave that for you. Um, thank you uh, to all of the staff who collaborated with the Chamber of Commerce on the State of the City event. How many of you here had a, went to that? I don't want to say had a chance. You all had the chance. But how many of you took the chance? Uh, look, look for 
announcements about that next year because it's so uplifting uh, to be among so many people who care about our city. And uh, the Chamber of Commerce did a superb job with an alternative format of bringing people to our CSUSB Palm Desert campus. Uh, so thank you to our Chamber of Commerce and thank you to our staff. And uh, thank you to all of the staff who worked very, very hard to put together a comprehensive tour of our housing authority properties. These are multifamily apartments, some for seniors, uh, some generally available, which exist throughout the city. And total over roughly 1,100 units of affordable housing. Uh, We're extremely proud of this because those units are so well maintained and interspersed. Uh, and many folks don't realize just how much affordable housing the city owns and maintains. Uh, we're certainly not stopping there and have close to another thousand units of affordable housing which are in process. Those won't be uh, city-owned, which is less practical under today's funding mechanisms, but they will be likewise helpful uh, to folks who need that help. So uh, the tour included council, members of our housing commission, and uh, members of staff. So thank you for putting that together, and thank you to everyone who participated. Uh, that brings us to the time for public comment on items which are not on the agenda. I have several cards from folks who are here to talk about uh, item 2B on the agenda. We'll give you your chance to talk when we get to that item. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to fill out a blue card, please do that and give that to our clerk who's at the end of uh, this table. That will be helpful. Um, but is there anyone present who wishes to speak to something which is not on the agenda? Um, the time afforded is up to three minutes. Mr. Mejia, would you check to see if anyone on Zoom wishes to comment? Uh, we do have a Roberta Kay, and we'll see if this is related to a non-agenda comment. Uh, it is related to the um, Measure B issue. Okay, so we'll take that comment a little bit later in the evening. Thank you. Right. No other public comment, Madam Mayor. And, and if I may, before we move on, since the room is full of people, 
Um, as Councilmember Truby mentioned, we just conducted interviews for boards and commissions. And so if you are interested in serving on a board and commission, uh, we cover a variety of topics related to parks and recreation, cultural arts, planning, architectural review, uh, civic engagement, public safety, finance, and many more. Uh, if you'd like to apply, you can go to palmdesert.gov forward slash volunteer, or just go to the Administrative Services Building and we'd be happy to give you more information. And thank you for that. Um, consent calendar, does anything need to be removed from consent? Madam Mayor, I would like to move forward towards the approving the um, consent calendar with the exception of item D. So we have a, anything else to be removed? We have a motion to approve everything except item D. Is there a second? I'll second the motion. Uh, please vote. Madam Mayor. Motion passes five to zero. Okay, let's just get organized here. Uh, item D is approve a First Amendment to the second revised and restated disposition and development agreement between the City of Palm Desert and Desert Wave Ventures LLC. Um, Mayor Pro Tem, did you have a specific question or did you wish for a staff report? I have received a, a few questions on, on this uh, from the community and it was basically what is the amendment because Desert Surf continues to be on, on the radar. So if we can synthesize this for those that may be watching. All right, Mr. Seha, would you please give a summary? Yes, good evening, Mayor, members of the City Council, Eric Seha, Director for Economic Development with the City. The amendment before you today uh, essentially removes the developer's obligation to perform a hotel with this development. It allows the wave pool to move forward, all the necessary infrastructure to support that development, along with a surf center, a retail component, and a restaurant. Uh, it will still leave the pads available for future villa development, um, and this would not preclude the developer from coming with a hotel in the near future. What it does also do is it removes $46 million in city incentives uh, for the project, so there's no new funding obligations on the city that's all been removed. Um, and it still obligates the developer to the turf removal to offset their water use at Desert Willow. Uh, so the water saving measures, which were a part of the original proposal, continue? That is correct. Um, any other questions? Is there a motion? I make a motion to approve item D on the consent calendar. I'll second that. Sorry, please, please vote. <laughs> motion passes four with uh, Count uh, Mayor Pro Tem Quintanilla abstaining. And uh, moving to the action calendar, item 2A, 
requests for direction regarding recommendations contained in the 2023 broker's report. May we have the staff report. Yes, good evening, Honorable Mayor and members of the City Council. My name is Vanessa Mager. I'm a management analyst in the Economic Development um, Department. Before you is a request for direction regarding recommendations uh, contained in the 2023 broker's report. Uh, in 2021, the Economic Development Department presented the 2021 Commercial Brokers Report to the City Council. The report identified existing constraints and barriers that local brokers were encountering in our city. Based on the information received, staff suggested procedural improvements that benefit the brokers and their ability to lease and sell locations in Palm Desert. Those included the items listed on the screen. With the success of the 2021 report, the Economic Development Department decided to continue to initiate a broker's report every two years, which brings us to the 2023 commercial broker's report. In meeting with the brokers, we found the common themes they are all currently facing are those that are currently listed on your screen. With, this informa with the information in your report and the items before you, staff is requesting direction related to the recommendations contained in the 2023 Commercial Brokers Report, which would include initiating a zone ordinance amendment to A, review land use definitions and expand specific land use categories, including auto, retail, and medical, adopting a non-conforming clause to the existing office buildings in the DEO to allow existing office buildings to utilize office professional use standards, and to restrict new self-storage facilities by requiring applicants to observe the CUP process. Staff believes that these recommendations would resolve some of the concerns our brokers are having. This uh, concludes the overview of the report, and I'm happy to answer any questions you might have. Questions? Yes, Mayor Pro Tem. Thank you, Ms. Minker. Um, my question is on the um, non-conforming terminology. A lot of what we heard at the ICSE convention was about the future of mixed use. Is that something that could be explored in the future or is part of the non-conforming to allow integration of different models? Um, in this report, the term non-conforming was utilized um, as a synonym for grandfathering in. Um, and so we currently do have uh, spaces that are operating, but unfortunately with the new zoning ordinance um, would no longer be allowed to operate. I hope Thank that you. answers. You're welcome. Thank you. All right, discussion. I have a. I do have a couple comments. Let's, let's just see if there's a second, and then we'll get okay. that discussion. I will second it for discussion. All right. Okay. Um, I I have a, a couple comments in here. Uh, one of the bullets was they brokers shared that they are having to turn away deals for fast food and casual dining in Palm Desert due to the drive-through ban currently in place. And it's actually not casual dining, it's just the drive-through that they're turning away. That's okay. And we have plenty of drive-throughs. And if we look at the city council goals and objectives, it is to further sustainable efforts, it's to further clean air, and drive-throughs are not aligned with that goal, so that's okay. We're not looking for more cookie cutter. That was another thing we heard a lot about at ICSC. 
Don't go with cookie cutter. Find out, really understand your brand and get businesses that align with your brand. And fast food and drive-throughs are not that. So that's okay. They might have to work a little harder to find some more creative approaches and some more unique offerings. As we know, during COVID, they all developed, the restaurants did, ability for you to pull up and they'll take your food out to you. So there are solutions there that um, avoid us having to have cookie cutter type of businesses. Um, I did want to mention, I think it's outstanding, the mention of staff developing a quarterly newsletter that will go to the broker community so they can understand everything we're doing as we're doing it. I think that's great. The other issue I saw on the insights, and I believe this is the 2023, but um, th there were some problems with the facade enhancement program not being used, and that's a shame. And I understand that they're doing it because as soon as they take those funds, it will then trigger, and they do that work, it will, their enhancements, their, their um, facades are outdated, and it would trigger the need for them to do ADA-compliant builds. And that's okay, too because we're here to help all of our community members and if they need some ADA uh, compliant sort of construction, I, maybe what we need to look at is a way we can help our builders and our businesses find a way to uh, come up to speed and come up to date on ADA. I did have a couple kind of thoughts. I, I, I questioned the issue uh, about the demand for big box, it says, it says consistent themes, demand for big boxes. Uh, re, um, retail is high, however, inventory in Palm Desert is low. And I was kind of surprised to read that, and maybe I'm not understanding exactly how they are characterizing big box, box um, retail. And then it said industrial real estate inventory is near zero. So I know we do want to develop more in the university area. But can you explain the, the big box issue? Yeah, and, and what we should clarify on the big box, uh, there, there's really no space in the city to build a traditional build big box, which is maybe 80 to 100, over 100,000 square feet. We're actually seeing a lot of interest in mid boxes, things that need somewhere between 15 and 30. And there's not a lot of inventory for that that's available that's already built in the community. A lot of those spaces are already filled. Um, so that's where we're seeing kind of the pinch for tenants that want to come in and we don't have the right box sizes for them. And I was just thinking that it seemed like we have that at Desert Crossing, some availability. And certainly as we go forward with the mall site, we might have to keep that in mind. Thank you. And uh, just to make sure were all clear the specific recommendations staff has brought forward do not include touching past council decisions about drive-throughs. You are correct. We were just um, sharing the information that we received from the brokers. Okay. So we have a motion and a second to adopt staff's recommended three actions. Uh, any other comment before we vote? Let's vote. 
Motion passes five to zero. All right. That brings us to item 2D2B, request for direction regarding districting options. I am going to ask for the staff report before public comment in case any of those commenting want to have a reference uh, to information in the staff report. Honorable Mayor and City Council, I'm Anthony Mejia, City Clerk, and we also have Jim Priest with BB&K specializing in elections and Doug Johnson of National Demographics Corporation. Uh, the City Council received a full briefing on districting options at its uh, April 27th study session. So today I will briefly review this information and primarily focus on new information. In addition, uh, Mr. Johnson will be jumping in to review the demographic analysis related to Advisory Measure B. On February 10th, 2023, the City Council Subcommittee held its only meeting to provide direction to staff on options to research. These options included three single-member districts with two members elected at-large, four single-member districts with an at-large mayor, and five single-member districts. In addition, staff was asked for a demographic analysis on Advisory Measure B, an analysis on ranked choice voting, and an evaluation of demographers. Before moving on, I'd like to note that three districts with two members elected at large is not a legally viable option in California, so it won't be discussed further in the presentation. And I will now ask Mr. Johnson to briefly review the next three slides related to Advisory Measure B. Sure. So, good evening. It's a pleasure to be with you. So, um, happy to go through this data looking back at the November election. Uh, the first piece of this was mentioned before where we talked about uh, Measure B received, as you know, 53% of the vote citywide. And it won both in the precincts in District 1 and in the precincts in the rest of the city, as we refer to it as District 2. So it, it did get more support, almost 58% yes in District 1, um, but it also had a majority at almost 53% in District 2. So go to the next slide. Um, very briefly, I can spend hours talking about how we do polarized voting analysis, but very briefly, we try to look at um, the precinct by precinct election results and the precinct by precinct demographics of the voters casting ballots and try to see as a precinct gets more Latino or less Latino, does uh, the, the measure on the ballot, in this case, measure B, do better or worse? And then we kind of extrapolate from that, that if it's doing better as the precincts get more Latino, well then Latinos seem to prefer it. Um, and if it's doing worse as precincts get more Latino, then Latinos seem to um, uh, disapprove of the, of the proposal. And you can see there's not a lot of spread. Um, all the precincts are pretty well clustered together and the, the size of the circle indicates the uh, number of voters casting ballots in that precinct. So the only real variation we get is, is a couple of uh, much smaller than average precincts. Generally, they're pretty close together, which means we don't have a very precise estimate, but we were able to come up with some estimates. We go to the next slide. And so when we, we run the statistics on those precinct by precinct election results, we get that an estimate of about 78% of Latino voters voted yes on Measure B, 
But note that with this few precincts and with that lack of spread uh, amongst the precincts, there's a big margin of error. So it's plus or minus 19% statistically. So, but definitely uh, we're, we're confident um, that a majority of Latino voters did vote yes on measure B. Similarly for, for non-Latino voters, we get a, a pretty even split, right at 50% is the estimate. Um, so it does appear that it, it passed or tied amongst non-Latino voters. But again, we have this big margin of error or plus or minus 25%. This is the challenge of, of um, polarized voting analysis in a relatively small jurisdiction with few, with few precincts or data points, and especially where the, uh, there's not a big spread in the demographics of the precincts. So it's the best we can come up with uh, using the available statistical measures, but we are looking at the, the measure did pass um, in both District 1 and District 2. Uh, it clearly was supported by Latino voters, and it looks like it was right at that 50-50 split among non-Latino voters. Thank you, Mr. Johnson. Uh, we previously reviewed the data, the specific data related to ranked choice voting, so I'll move on to the findings. As pre previously noted, staff identified that the city will focus more attention on educating the community about marking the ballots correctly and how to avoid overvoting in future elections. Uh, at the study session, the city council inquired whether there were any alternative methods to tabulating surplus votes under multi-winner ranked choice voting. While staff did identify one alternative method uh, called whole ballot transfer used in Cambridge MA, uh, we also discovered that there's no certified software option in California that could be used to tabulate these ballots, so it doesn't appear that it would be a very strong viable option at this time. Um, again, we previously reviewed the demographer option, so I'm going to skip ahead two slides. And um, note that staff intends to return to the City Council at a future meeting to award a contract to NDC for demographer services should the City Council choose to move forward with districting. Uh, should the City Council decide to move forward with districting, it would be ideal to receive City Council direction on the preferred number of districts by July 2023. Uh, staff would then follow up in August with a detailed outreach plan to commence in the fall with the intention of adopting a final map uh, in January 2024. Uh, this slide is a reminder about the federal, state, and other traditional redistricting principles, mainly that we want to ensure that each single-member district has equal population. Districts are contiguous, compact, and easily identifiable boundaries. I'll now review the options related to four districts with an at-large mayor and five single-member districts. In the demographer's preliminary best efforts, a four-district with an at-large mayor system would result in District 1's uh, Latino citizen voting age population dropping from 44.81% to 39.93%, and white CVAP would increase to nearly 53%. Under a five-district system, District 1 could remain unchanged. As a reminder, under the Fair Maps Act, the city may only adopt new district boundaries in between censuses if it is the first time districting under a court order or the city charter provides for mid-cycle redistricting. When it comes to mid-cycle redistricting, if the city council were to choose this option, the city must submit a ballot measure at a future election, uh, possibly the March 2024 presidential primary or the November 2024 presidential election, Authorization by ordinance alone would be vulnerable to a legal challenge. 
When it comes to a court order, the existing settlement agreement and stipulated judgment contemplate allowing for a mid-cycle redistricting to five single-member district system. To this limited extent, Attorney Shankman and his clients and the court have already agreed to this form of mid-cycle redistricting is permissible. However, it would be prudent to seek an amendment to the stipulated judgment that specifically addresses this issue, which would require negotiation with Attorney Shankman and his clients. And if agreed upon and an amended stipulated judgment is ordered, this process would eliminate one significant avenue of a legal challenge. A four-district plus an at-large mayor option is allowed under the government code when the change is in furtherance of the California Voting Rights Act. The demographer's preliminary best efforts could not identify a four-plus-one configuration that did not result in diluting Latino CVAP in District 1. Therefore, this option doesn't appear to be in furtherance of the California Voting Rights Act. However, if the City Council were to choose this option, the City would need to negotiate with Attorney Shankman and his clients, and the Court would need to approve the amended judgment. A five-district option appears to be consistent with the stipulated judgment, advisory measure B, and applicable law. However, absent a court order, this, there is a risk for a third-party legal challenge. Therefore, staff believes it would be prudent to negotiate with Shankman and his clients to specifically address this issue and amend the stipulated judgment. In summary, absent a court order or charter amendment, it doesn't appear that the city may mid-cycle redistrict under the Fair Maps Act without risk of a legal challenge. However, if Attorney Shankman and his clients agree to the change, the risk of a legal challenge is reduced, and while federal and state law does not require the use of ranked choice voting, if the City Council were to desire to eliminate its use, we would need to negotiate this with Shankman. At the study session, the City Council requested information regarding attorney's fees so it may gauge the potential cost when negotiating with Shankman. As you'll see, Kevin Shankman was previously awarded an hourly rate of $815, and his partnering attorney's hourly rates range from $615 to $945. Rate choice voting also carries additional costs not previously incurred. Uh, the past election uh, resulted in an increase of $236,530 associated with implementing rate choice voting. The city will be required to pay $75,000 annually to the county to maintain the software license, even in non-election years. And finally, uh, the city council is requested to provide direction on whether Palm Desert should be divided into smaller districts or maintain the existing two-district system. If the city council chooses to move forward with districting, the next question is whether or not we should rely on the existing stipulated judgment as a court order or seek an amendment to the stipulated judgment to specifically address mid-cycle redistricting or to seek a, a charter amendment to allow for mid-cycle redistricting. In addition, the next question is whether or not there is a desire to continue with the use of ranked choice voting or if the city should attempt to negotiate elimination of its use. Once direction is received, staff will return to the City Council in an upcoming meeting to award a contract to NDC for demographer services and to review the proposed uh, community outreach plan if needed. And Doug, uh, Jim, and I are available for any questions. Uh, do we have any quick questions from Council for clarification uh, before I take public comment? All right. Uh, before I start to call folks forward, I'm going to give us all a job that we can do together. And that is to restrain 
our reactions to what people say because folks will speak with whom you deeply agree and you want to affirm them and applaud and folks will speak with whom you deeply disagree and you'll probably want to do something audible. So we're all going to restrain ourselves. It's the Palm Desert way uh, to keep it as comfortable as possible uh, for people to participate and share. I remember speaking to council uh, before I was elected, and it was nerve-wracking. We don't want it to be nerve-wracking, uh, but whoever designed this space put us way too high. So it is nerve-wracking, and we can help it be comfortable for each other. Uh, by just treating everyone the same with respect. Uh, first up is Deborah Vogler. Good afternoon, honorable mayor and council members. I respectfully urge you to vote in favor of splitting up District 2 into four smaller districts, or whatever happens to be uh, legally allowed. <laughs> this has nothing to do with how I feel about the members personally. I believe that the council has generally been logical, rational, and pragmatic in its policies and their implementation. And I believe I live relatively close to most of the council members. So this is not about me not feeling well represented. But please allow me to make a point about how I think this matter might be viewed by fellow Palm Desert residents who do not live near any of the current council members. This is a bit of a digression, but I promise I do have a relevant point to make. As someone who enjoyed reading fashion magazines since I was a teenager, I could sort of fool myself into thinking that I was somehow represented in them because I was young and thin and the fashions were relevant to a young person's lifestyle. Of course, I was not tall, <laughs> but I could ignore that little detail for a few decades. As I grew older, heavier, and of course, no taller, it became apparent that I was not being represented in any way, shape, or form by what the fashion industry was purveying. But in the last decade or so, all I kept hearing and seeing the magazine pages was how inclusive and diverse the fashion industry had become. Sure, there were many different ethnicities and body sizes that were in the magazines. But except for the occasional actress or celebrity, none were short like me. Even the occasional famous models who are now senior citizens are still tall. Until I see models who are short like me, and even better, senior citizens who are not toothpicks, there is nothing the fashion industry can say or do that will make me believe I am being represented. I think this may be what my fellow Palm Desert residents who do not live close to this part of Palm Desert might be feeling and why they would like their own closer to home districts. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, 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 oh. Do your job. This is 
This is critically important, critically important uh, to our democratic process that we restrain audible reaction, including clapping, okay? Let's be a team. Next up is uh, Gail Moore. Thank you for the opportunity to speak to you. Yes, there's a story. It's a good one. Um, I can't, as a resident of Palm Desert, see one single upside to splitting into smaller districts. I want the best qualified, passionate council members that we can elect. And by putting us into smaller districts, you're taking our pool of 80% of the city down to 10% of possible candidates with one candidate for each district. Right now, I'm represented by four council people. I can go to four separate council people with an issue. I'm very represented. I'm not represented if I only have one council person. Councilwoman Nastande and Councilman Truby are neighbors of mine. I know how close proximity they live in each other. If they go down to one district, what happens to their positions? I also know that the mayor and Councilwoman Harnick live very close to each other. What happens if they're placed in the same district to their positions? Why would I want to lose valued council members that we have elected? I think this is a horrible idea. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Joan Spear. Hi, thank you for taking my comments, Honorable Mayor Kelly and City Council members. First, I want to say that the desire to have five districts in Palm Desert is nothing personal towards you City Council members. In fact, you have served our city well and Palm Desert is a great place to live. Thank you. You can be proud that more people from all sides of this city want to be involved. I realize that this may be very difficult for you. I'm wondering if you would see this differently if you all lived in various parts of the city and therefore would not have the threat of running against each other. You have formed strong relationships as you have served together. However, as Palm Desert has grown, it has come of age to move to five districts. Almost every area of our federal and state governments, schools and utilities are split by districts by design from our nation's foundation for good reasons. Our current system of one small district and one very large district will continue to be a thorn in the side of the city until it is corrected. Many of the objections of moving to five, five districts have been addressed. My understanding is that we can move to five districts without waiting for the 2030 census, as mentioned by your staff. I am asking that you task the city staff to work up a map with five districts and move forward with the redistricting process without delay. Thank you. 
Thank you. Uh, Tom Mortensen. Good afternoon. I'm Tom Mortensen, and I live in North Palm Desert, down by the University in Cook Street. But I happen to live in the best, wonderful city, most well-run city in California. We have everything here from a four-year college to a community college to world-class dining and, and shopping, as you all well know. We're celebrating our 50th year, and we are successful, and we're the best, and I say, why in the world would you want to change that when we have it going for us? I feel really representative. I live in North Palm Desert. I know I can talk to any one of you people, and you'll listen to my concerns and take care of it. And so what I want to say is it's important that we are able to vote for our city council. Before any of you were on city council, we had a couple of city council members that took things personal in traveling first class out of state over to Europe, contributing nothing in benefiting the citizens of Palm Desert. And I wouldn't want to see that again. That's why I think it's important for all of us in, in Palm Desert to be able to vote for the city council. In the last election, people in District 2 were not able to vote for the two vacancies. And I don't believe that was fair to them. So, going to five districts, that means we're only going to be able to vote for the person that is in our district. And I don't like that idea because I am part of Palm Desert. And I think the problems with that also can be erased where, let's say in district number two, we have a person that is in district number two. And when it comes up time for a re-election, if there's no one to challenge that person, then she would automatically, or that person would automatically go on. And if that person had a challenger, it costs money to run for city council. And if one person had backing of a certain organization and had money, that would automatically put them in. So that means to me that there's a good possibility that a certain council person in District 2 could stay in city council as long as Diane Feinstein. And that, I think, would be wrong. And so it's been brought up about Berkeley being uh, five districts. I was born in Berkeley. I lived in Oakland. There are five districts up there. And those two cities were wonderful cities to grow up into. And believe me, they're not that great anymore. And I can understand with Oakland, because Oakland is diverse. There's West Oakland, which is different than East Oakland. East Oakland is different than Central Oakland, which is different than North Oakland, which is different than the Hill people. So that's all fine and good. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Uh, Crystal Brocay. Honorable Mayor and City Council members. My name is Crystal Broquet. Many of you know me from my community participation throughout the years. I'm speaking today in opposition to an effort to move the city to district-based elections. 
This is one of the most concerning issues this council has taken up in some time, and I wonder what problem we are trying to solve. We don't have any problems. In my experience, we have always looked out for the greater good for the entirety of Palm Desert. This is especially evident by reviewing the world-class amenities offered throughout the city. I do not see district voting as a way to bring us together. On the contrary, it will further divide us. Why would we want a system where each council member reports to 20% of its citizens rather than five council members reportable to 100% of its citizens? It seems logical to me that the existing structure pro provides far more citizen engagement. I'm asking this council to give this issue the seriousness it deserves and act in the best interest of this community. For 50 years, this governance of Palm Desert has been looked upon as a model of efficiency. Why would anyone try to change it? I'm asking myself, for what reason? Please say no to districts, and let's get back to solving real issues on behalf of the residents of Palm Desert. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Jan Clement. Good afternoon, honorable mayor and council members. My name is Jan Clement. I love this city and I'm a proud 11 year resident. I will quickly read my thoughts on the districting proposal. Let's look at this matter through the lens of the bigger picture going forward. Let's consider our current spirit and the fiscal health of this city we love. Acknowledging the state of our world, let's stop to reflect on the relative stability and success we have experienced. With a substantially sound governing template we have had over these last 50 years. I would suggest that we need a serious, detailed debate regarding this proposal. We need to ask those who are proponents to present the facts and reasoning as to why we should consider such a major change to the structural model of how we govern ourselves. What I'm asking is that we consider long and hard any structural change to our governing system that could greatly influence the effective platform which currently engages a united citizenry. Redistricting such a small population will only contribute to fragmentation and a disunity of purpose going forward. 
In addition, I suggest that it is very important that the residents be educated about the ramifications of such a foundational shift before it is brought to a vote. In this time of chaos and uncertainty, we are better served by the unity of purpose which has guided us well here in our city for 50 years. As a proud resident, I look forward to subsequent generations enjoying 50 more years of a forward-thinking, fiscally sound, steady yet imaginative, and thriving Palm Desert. Thanks for, your li for listening. Thank you, Ralph Berry. Okay, good evening. Um, good evening, Mayor, City Council Member, City Manager, and esteemed staff. When I first heard of five districts, I inquired to Mayor Kelly what she thought about it. She had concerns and she gave me her reasonings. That was back in 2020, I believe. Out of loyalty to her, I joined the No campaign. Since then, we had the vote last November on Measure B. My spouse and I both voted no. But then yes on B won by 53%. So it passed. Like many others, including several on the council, I voted no, but thought we should follow the will of the people. So now I'm, so now after further review, I'm yes on B. I also was elected president of a local political club in January of this year. Our membership is yes on B. Many of our 120 members are here tonight. I would urge the council to implement measure B and that we can all join together in unity. Our 93-year-old past president, Charlie Era, wrote a beautiful letter to the Desert Sun showing empathy for the council members. I share that feeling. Everyone serving on our wonderful city is a dedicated public servant. You give, you give so much of your time and energy. If you wish, I have time to serve on a citizen subcommittee to assist the process. I live in North Palm Desert. We can all agree that change can be daunting. It's normal to resist change. Once it happens, you might grow to like it. Then you might think, why didn't we do this before? Thank you for your time tonight. Thank you. And uh, speaking of, next up is Charlie Ara. Uh, yes. Wow, I'm, I'm getting older. But anyway, uh, good afternoon, honorable city council members. Uh, last Monday, I was interviewed by Leslie Roth of the Palm Desert Historical Society. And it was the first time I had been in that building on El Paseo a little bit west of Monterey, that was the old fire station, which uh, served well 
in the past, but obviously cannot protect the citizens today because time goes on and things develop. I see three people there with says development, you know, and uh, evolution, and that's what it's all about. It started, I found out, the city of Palm Desert with the name Old McDonald's Ranch. Oh, did you know that? The city manager, did you know that? Oh, I never knew that. And also, when they put in the palm trees, it was named Palm Valley. So I didn't know that either. But anyway, as the city grew, it got the name Palm Desert. And in 1973, it was incorporated. I, brought, I bought property here in 1978. And at that time, Palm Desert Greens, where I lived, was not part of the city. It was part of the county. And when the movement came to become part of the city, there was lots of resistance, which is, you know, I'm a psychologist. There's a lot of normal resistance to change, even if it's changed for the better. So I just want to make the point that these Palm Desert evolvements over the years uh, that while difficult and initially resisted are part of meeting the needs of the future. For example, when the old fire station on El Perseo no longer was adequate to meet the needs of the growing population, new fire protection systems were developed. However, the old fire station remains as a museum. It'd be nice to meet it. Okay. While it might be a stretch, I think we can use the old fire station as a metaphor with the proposed new system of moving to five districts, which would allow for better local representation in this fast-growing community. Building on the past for a better future is a common goal that we all share. Therefore, I urge the City Council to adopt the staff and voting residents' recommendation to move to a five-district system of electing reps to the City Council and to do so in time for the 2024 election. Thank you very much, and God bless everybody. Thank you. Van Tanner. Good afternoon. I'm Van Tanner, and I live at 48949 Sunny Summit Lane in South Palm Desert. Today I'm here to ask... Van, this, I'm going to ask you to repeat the number because it's different from what's on the card. On the card? Well, yeah, what is the correct number? 48949 Sunny Summit Lane, right. South Palm Desert. Thank you. Anyway, I'm here to, uh, to ask the council to vote into and make effective prior to the 2024 election five districts. My wife and I moved here in 1980, and shortly thereafter, um, we had boys. I started uh, working with the city as a liaison. Uh, if those of you who remember, the parks were not the parks here. We played baseball, played soccer on shared property. It's the uh, Palm Desert City or Palm Desert High School 
the city of Palm Desert ran it, and Palm Desert youth sports were on the fields as well. I was liaison appointed by Carlos Ortega, then city manager. From there I went, uh, about five years later, I went to the Parks and Recreation Commission, and there I spent 22 years. I was asked to put an application in uh, for the Planning Commission, and I did as a result of Bob Spiegel coming to me and asking. And I was appointed and served there seven full years, great, great glorious years. Then I was asked to run in 2012 for City Council. And I did that as well and was elected. The point that I'm trying to make is that I love Palm Desert. I've been a life, basically my entire life here. And fair representation is not being allowed here now. We have 53,000 people in the current 2020 census about. Over the next five to six years, we're going to have an additional 7,000 houses built in the North Sphere and a brand new, a brand new park that's going to be probably started within the next couple of years. I would have known if I still maintained a position on Parks and Rec. My point is, again, this, is that I want to see fair representation, and I think that the people in Palm Desert have an opportunity to help with the growth of North Palm Desert. We're not being represented well at this point. Um, I think, again, that there was mention of money being spent. And to, to allow five districts, you've got five different people running, spending a fifth of maybe what they would be spending if they were running for re-election on a at-large four, four districts, or two districts. So I hope that you will do what's best for the city of Palm Desert and what's best for the residents and the, the population in North Palm Desert. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Dory Smith. Hello. Hello. Thank you for letting me speak today. Um, I've heard some great speeches, and I want to reemphasize Joan Spears' comment that district voting is part of America's culture, this kind of voting, so that we all feel like we have representation. And as this gentleman just said, right now we don't have fair representation. And I'm going to bring up what some people may not like. If you look at the city council now, we all know that the reason that we have some diversity on it was because of the law, the California Voting Rights Act, and two brave women who sued the city for fairer representation. So we have a little bit more of inclusivity on the Palm Desert City Council. I've lived here for 23 years. I think the city is well run. My husband and I thought we'd be here five years, but we've been very happy here, so that's why we're still here. But I'm asking the city council basically to do the right thing, to follow the California Voting Rights Act and move to five districts with speed. We have seen this being contentious for several years. We have seen the city using city employee time and city money to fight the California Voting Rights Act. When this issue first came up here, I researched it. No cities had won when they fought it in court at that time. So it seemed like it was protecting 
the status quo. So I'm asking you to please do the right thing, to follow the law, follow the California Voting Rights Act. Please do the right thing to move to five districts so that people who don't look like me feel like they have better representation than they do now. I'm asking you to please do the right thing. Stop wasting your time and our time and city employee time fighting this. I am asking you to do the right thing. It seems like those of you who are, who are in the bigger district don't want, want to run against each other. That's tough, but so what? I'm quoting Ms. Harnick, so what? Let's move on. Do the right thing. Stop dragging your feet, move to five districts, and listen to the residents. It wasn't a huge majority, but the majority of Palm Desert told you they want this five district system. So please, do the right thing. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, do we have requests to speak on Zoom? Uh, we do have one right now, uh, but before uh, I'll read the housekeeping uh, remarks. Uh, for those on Zoom, if you want to participate in public comment, please click the raise hand button on your computer or smartphone. If you're joining by dialing in, uh, please dial uh, star nine to raise your hand. And when called upon, press star six to unmute yourself. And right now we have three raised hands. All right, please call on those persons. Julia Gomez. Hi, uh, members of the city council. Uh, my name is Julia Gomez. I'm a staff attorney at the ACLU of Southern California. And this morning, the ACLU sent a letter laying out why we believe that the council should be moving forward with completely transitioning its system uh, to five single member districts. As we noted in our letter, the first really, really important reason is that you now have a clear mandate from your voters who expressed by a 53.24% margin that they want to move to this system. So it's not a situation where you're receiving a demand letter. You don't know if this is something the community wants. The community has made clear to you that this is what they want. Um, the second reason is that the Salas settlement allows you to do that. Um, the Salas settlement only envisioned two types of systems, the system you currently have and a five member electoral system. And so it's quite clear that should you choose to move forward with um, a five-member system, you're not going to have impediments when it comes to that. The third reason, which I think may be sort of the main impediment highlighted in the staff report, is this idea that the Fair Maps Act or California's Local Redistricting Act would prevent you from redistricting or going through a districting process again. Um, I actually disagree with the, what the report says. Um, I think if you read the Fair Maps Act, it does prohibit mid-decade redistricting, but it makes an exception precisely for these situations. So it says, you know, you can't adopt, you can't redistrict mid-decade for unless you're doing it for the first time, quote, including when a city adopts council districts for the first time for the purpose of transitioning from electing its council members at large uh, to elections by district. So although Palm Desert is a unique situation because you partially transitioned to by district elections in 2020. The fact remains district two is currently at large. It's only ever operated at large and you would be districting it for the first time. 
Um, so again, I and I guess the only other thing I'll note about that is that to the extent you're concerned about legal challenges, the staff rec- report does recommend going back to the Salas petitioners and going back to Attorney Shakeman to see if there's something you can include in an updated settlement agreement to sort of make clear that the Fair Maps Act is not an impediment. So we encourage that. Um, we don't think there's a need for you to go back to voters a second time to do a charter amendment for mid-decade redistricting, because again, the, the language of the Fair Maps Act sort of envisions transitioning to by district elections mid-decade precisely in response to a CVRA lawsuit, which here you would be sort of implementing a CVRA settlement, uh, the saddle settlement. So thank you all so very much. I am really happy to see democracy working, to see voters sort of vote for this system, and I'm hopeful that you'll be implemented, implementing the wishes of voters. Thank you. And uh, Ms. Gomez, I assure you, we did receive your letters, so we've had the opportunity to study that. The next speaker is Lauren Wolfer. Hello, everyone. Thank you. Um, good afternoon, Mayor Kelly, Mayor Pro Tem Quintanilla, and council members. Um, as a lifelong Coachella Valley resident and someone who has had the privilege of working in the city of Palm Desert, I strongly encourage you to move forward with the implementation of five districts as mandated by the voters through the passage of Measure B. By transitioning to district elections, Palm Desert can foster a more inclusive and equitable political landscape. District representation ensures that each neighborhood and community within the city has a dedicated representative who understands their unique needs and concerns. This system allows for closer engagement with local officials and leads to the development of targeted policies that address specific issues impacting each district. This increased access leads to greater accountability, which in turn fosters more transparency and trust in local government which in turn leads to greater civic pride and engagement. Um, finally, this, those were my re- prepared remarks. I wanted to add that I am really dismayed to hear so many white residents come forward to say that everything's working just fine and that they don't see any reason to change the status quo when the only reason that we have Lat- like the first Latina to ever serve on city council is because of legal action under the California Voting Rights Act. And for a city with a substantial Latinx population um, to be so poorly represented on council is clearly a big problem needs attention. And it was just, I think a year or two ago that there was a White Lives Matter display on El Paseo. Um, We need equity in Palm Desert. We need better representation. And I appreciate all of your hard work on this issue. And I please implore the Council of Palm Desert to comply with the California Voting Rights Act. Thank you. And at this point, the last speaker would be Roberta Kay. Good afternoon, everyone. Honorable Mayor and City Council members. My name is Roberta Kay and I reside in Palm Desert with honor. Uh, as been, has been stated so many times already, to me it is just a very clear issue that we should move forward with five districts. The voters have spoken, that's what they chose, and that is what I believe in. I also would like to say that it's important 
to note that research has shown that with more diversity, specifically cultural, ethnic, and socioeconomic, which would be the case in more representation in Palm Desert, diversity adds to the richness and the efficiency of any organization because of the different and unique perspectives and opinions of the members. So just keep in mind that with diversity, with more diversity, the whole can be greater than the sum of its parts. Thank you so much for allowing me to speak. Thank you. Madam Mayor, I have no more uh, Zoom speakers. All right. Uh, before I check to see if council members would appreciate a short break, uh, let me just see if council members have any questions of staff to um, clarify the report. Yes, Mayor Pro Tem. My question is in regards to the map with the um, outline of the voter precincts, and that is on item 2B, page 18. It seems that there is very clearly which sections and which precincts voted, and somewhere I see a 72%, and I can't quite distinguish which one that is. It's adjacent to one that says 54 and the 55, so I'm not sure quite how those line up. And uh, maybe if we could provide the number of that um, voter precinct number or how to delineate that. Thank you. And if necessary, uh, perhaps Mr. Johnson can check for that answer as we continue. Um, I do have one question. Um, just to help folks understand, we on the council have the opportunity to ask staff questions before we come to the meeting. And uh, staff distributes a summary of those questions and the answers before we get here. So that helps us be prepared. One of the questions that was asked uh, this week as part of that process was to actually quantify how much growth is expected in the north part of the city uh, by mapping uh, projects which are currently under construction as well as those that have gone through the entitlement process and can be expected uh, to uh, come to completion within the foreseeable future. And uh, we received a map that was responsive to that question. Is it possible to show that map so everyone can see it? So just to try to encapsulate, am I correct that the yellow 
uh, areas are projects which are approved and ready to proceed, but not yet under construction. That is correct. And the green are the ones under construction. Correct. And am I reading correctly that the projects under construction consist of 1,683 uh, housing units? Correct. Which would be a mixture of houses and apartments. And if I'm reading this chart correctly, based on citywide statistics, uh, staff would project that those units would produce 3,568 new residents. That's correct. Then the other numbers I want to confirm are up at the top and harder to read. Uh, but it looks like, including both the yellow and the green, there's a total of 4,608 units uh, expected to produce 9,769 residents. Correct. Okay. Any other questions about this map uh, while we have it up? Okay, thank you. Um, but it, it is, I saw Mr. Johnson briefly. Is that because he had an answer to the other question? Yes, I do, Mayor, members of council. Um, the one precinct that was 72% yes is a, a tiny precinct. Um, it, if you know your precinct numbers, it's 442062. Geographically, it's literally just the south side of Covered Wagon Trail, right on the edge of town, um, below Old Prospector Trail and below Fairway. Um, so it's Covered Wagon Trail and the east side of Black Rabbit Road. So in that precinct, there were um, 22 ballots cast, uh, 13 were yes and five were no, okay. and then four were blank on this question. So that, that high percentage is the result of just it being such a small, uh, precinct that one or two votes would swing it by five or ten percent. All right. Thank you. Um, and I'm so sorry, this is about the last map that was up. Something just occurred to me. Can, are you able to put that map up again? And it's just uh, information that we should have as we go forward, I, I think. Um, what? Are you waiting? Yeah, were you gonna? Okay, thank you, thank you. Here's my question, if we can expand that and look at everything that would then be north of Varner Road in the 10. And I know it's cut off, so we don't see it all. There has been um, the thought of annexing that area. And I know there's been some exploration of that. Are we able to say if we take in that area, the number of homes in that area? 
I mean, can we get that info? What, and I'm not sure what the area would be. I know LAFCO is pretty clear on how we have to do that, but. Yeah, I think the last time um, Mr. Seha and I looked into this, it was basically there was a requirement uh, to take in the one community um, just uh, to the west of uh, Cook, and then it would be um, the, the boundary would go over to Washington Street. So be that entire area. I don't know that we have a, um, a plat or a plan for the homes out there at this point. Uh, uh, those property owners are still working on that and they've really been put back because of a lack of infrastructure out there. But we were clearly told that that one community uh, just west of Cook would have to be annexed as well. Okay, thank you. Right, keep that Andy. Uh, would folks appreciate a break? All right, let's please keep it to 10 minutes so we can uh, not hold people up too long. In that spirit, as uh, council members express themselves, so please, no cheering, no hissing. Uh, you can write to us later with your reactions. Uh, speaking of that, I do want to assure everyone present or listening of that the many comments submitted prior to today were distributed to council, and I'm confident everyone has reviewed them. Uh, so let me hear from my colleagues about uh, your sentiments. Um, Mayor Pro Tem, I know this issue has been important to you. Would you like to kick off the discussion? Thank you, Madam, Madam Mayor. I appreciate the honor. One of the consistent comments that I have heard um, against Measure B was that this will divide the city and that this will fracture us instead of uniting us. As mentioned by one of the speakers that it has been statistically shown, and I wish I had the, the citation, that when you do include diverse perspectives, we do come to an elevated sense of um, efficiency, inclusion, and working towards a greater goal. It wasn't that long ago when women were not allowed in the boardrooms, so there was no one advocating for the perspectives, for inclusion of, of the time required to raise a family. And I seem to, not seem to, but I, I've come to understand it in this way, that we won't be divided. You know, we actually will have a chance to learn from one another and support each other in recognizing the ways that we live and think and the different ways that we worship and that we're not served by saying that everyone is equal if we don't take a second look. May is the month to celebrate awareness for various causes that acknowledge and support the needs of individuals so we can increase respect and inclusion. For example, Memorial Day is a single day, but it is part of uh, National Military Appreciation Month. And we know our veterans have different experiences than the average Americans. We celebrate cultural heritage, such as Asian Pacific Americans, South Asians, and Haitians and understand their, their cultural contributions go beyond food, which is the easiest way that we experience other cultures. We have um, awareness for public safety, such as National Bike Month and Trauma Awareness Month. 
We don't have to be ER doctors or nurses or in the medical field to understand that trauma impacts us all, and so does public safety, so we need to be proactive. We recognize the um, challenges in health this month, such as awareness for um, ALS, the Lou Gehrig's disease, for brain tumors and celiac disease, even though some people find it irritating when people ask for something that's gluten-free. If you are the one with the gluten allergy, this is a very terrible reaction that you could have, and children as young as two are diagnosed. So we may not have it, but we understand how it could impact our loved ones. We discuss mental health. We discuss strokes, and we even discuss the support that are provided by guide dogs as part of National Guide Dog Month and National Pet Month. We embrace religious observances like a Jewish American Heritage Month and devotions to the Blessed Virgin Mary in different religions. And we have a crucial need to recognize National Foster Care Month, recognizing thousands of children in foster care and the dangers that our youth face when they become 18 and their foster families no longer wish to support them, and they have nowhere to go. This is a growing number of youth that do not have transitional housing and could end up homeless. In fact, that is a very um, group that the Coachella Valley Rescue Mission does pay attention to, but they are aware that they don't have enough funding and they don't have all of the youth coming to them. So in recognizing our different needs and ideologies, don't make us any less of a city. In fact, it allows us to learn more from one another and experience the education and empathy that strengthens our community. Uh, thank you. Let's hear from others as to uh, your perspective on how to move forward. All right. Councilmember Nestante. Okay, I'm, I'm going to probably give a hodgepodge of answers, but I'll try to be as succinct as possible. Going back to 2019, or right around there, when the issue of going to districts first came before us with the lawsuit, I was vehemently opposed to dividing our city into districts and actually wanted to fight it. And then, uh, and and the, the biggest reason is in my whole life, I don't look at people by the color of their skin, where they're from, ethnicity. I don't look at that. I look at people's character, their actions, their intellect, and what they do. And that is something I stand by. But having said that, we as a council agreed as a settlement to have four at-large districts and one smaller district with ranked choice voting put in for good measure. And at the time, the way ranked choice voting was explained to us, it didn't seem like a, a big issue. Well, this last election underscored that it's a huge issue and a threat to our democracy. Uh, you can vote for two people. This last election, you could vote for two people. And in this case, there was several people on the ballot, so you would rank them. So your first and second choice that you chose, your first, your first choice did count, but your second choice vote, the person you wanted to fill that second spot, odds are that vote did not count. Your vote did not count for the most part. That is a threat to our democracy. So in this whole debate, we need to take in ranked choice voting. It, has to, it really needs to be part of the issue. 
And I'll, I'll stop there, and I'll let my other colleagues speak, and then I'll continue on with where I'm going. Thank you. Um, Councilmember Troopy, are you ready? Yeah. All right, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, what's the big issue? It could mean a wholesale change for our city moving forward. I think we need to consider all the ramifications. I know that during um, my campaign in 2022 was the same campaign, obviously, where Measure B was considered. And what I ran into as I was campaigning was a lot of folks saying, yeah, we get to have our own, our own uh, representative. And I thought, well, you already do. You already have four. Uh, when I explained to them, and I think what came as a surprise, because that's the way it was packaged. You're going to have your own representative that will probably live closer to you, or may live closer to you. But when I ex explained to them that currently they have four votes in District 2, and we're going to strip away three, uh, kind of changed their, their demeanor and their, and their mood a little bit. And in addition, what I, what I came across during the campaign was that uh, people were surprised to learn that Yes, they were, they were going to have one vote every four years rather than four votes with you know, alternating years every two years. So that diminishes their number of votes. However, the representative, the other four representatives, while they won't be accountable to those residents, will certainly have say-so over their outcomes. In other words, I'm not accountable to you if I don't live in your district. You, you know, if, I, if you don't like how I'm doing, tough luck. You don't get to vote me out of office or have a chance to vote me out of office. And I came as a surprise to them as well, I think. Um, the other thing I want to mention about campaigning was that uh, in, I ran in 2020 and lost. And uh, it was a great experience, though. Got to knock on a lot of doors. We canvassed the entire city because at the time, of course, it was two districts. And I represented or was looking to represent District 2 of about 40,000 people. And so I, had, I was forced, if I wanted to be successful, to go knock on a lot of doors and meet a lot of people. So I covered the entire city as well as I could. I didn't get up all the way north to Genesis, unfortunately, because we had a rule where you don't go into gated communities. But I knocked doors in Palm Desert Country Club, uh, up on Shepherd Lane in Portola, South Palm Desert, all over the city. And I think that's a huge advantage of having a large district, uh, District 2 currently, because I was forced to get to know them. They were forced to get to know me. And that's part of a successful campaign when you represent uh, a larger portion of people in an entire city. So I think that's a huge advantage to our current system. Uh, they knew that they were accountable to me and vice versa. I was accountable to them. Uh, I got to, and also keep in mind, I had to familiarize, familiar, by meeting them face to face, I had to familiarize myself with their problems or issues. They knew how to reach me. I got to learn about Palm Desert Country Club, some of the issues they were facing, what was going on in Shepherd's Lane. And I will remind you that in 2020, um, I lost. And that was, I think, in large part because we have a very happy citizens, citizens, citizens re, beg your pardon. Uh, that feels well represented, or that, currently, and uh, I feel like when I won in 2022, I did in large part because Savvy stepped aside, and uh, you know it's really hard to unseat incumbents in a very happy this very happy city. So that's something to consider, you know, a ramification to consider if we divide our city into five districts. Um, there's a lot more. I don't know how I'm going go on and on and on, but we can do this in parts or pieces. I can go on for about 20 minutes if you want. <laughs> so you tell me. I've got a lot of points to cover. Uh, I can do it now or. Uh, your choice. Let's do it. We're, All right, I'm going to keep going. So, right, thank you. So, thank let you. us know where you land. <laughs> I'll let that you know way. when I'm finished. I'll say end. Okay. Um, a couple other things. I kind of know the arguments were made that uh, you lower the threshold for winning a seat in council if you only say a rep in a district of 10,000 people. But I think we've seen throughout the valley that in cities that have gone to districts, Palm Springs comes to mind. 
uh, at least one, maybe more, raised in the tens of thousands, even over $100,000 in a district of eight to 10,000 people. So I don't think you're necessarily going to take money out of uh, the race, or big money, out of the race. If somebody wants a seat bad enough, they're going to raise the money and get the support. So it's not a guarantee. Uh, also looking towards other cities in the valley that have gone to districts, Cathedral City and Desert Hot Springs come to mind. Um, there were several seats where only one candidate ran. So to me, that's a diminished level of choice that you're going to have, possibly. I mean, it's, we had, in District 2, 40,000 residents. Uh, five people ran in our last race in a, in a pool of 40,000. If you, if you knock that down to 10,000-person districts, odds are you might only get one or two people running. Whereas, you know, you had a choice of five last time. So that's something to consider. You know, you, it's, it's harder to find good people. You also might be forced with a choice where you have to, are forced with the option of, trading in somebody who's good and experienced and who you like for somebody who lives close by. So, and just by virtue of geography, you're again diminishing choices. So again, something to consider. There's a lot of, a lot of downside to this. I'm opposed to it, and I've made that clear in my campaign of moving to five districts. Um, I may be fighting an uphill battle, we'll see, but I, I'll make it clear I, I prefer our, our two-district system as it stands. Um, let's see. Oh, yeah, the other thing to consider, if you don't live... You, you're going to have one, in a five-district system, you'll have one representative that's accountable to you. If you don't like what they have to say about, say, a short-term rental issue or you don't agree with them on a tax issue or whatever, really, you may not have the ear of the other four. You only have their goodwill to rely upon if you want to get their ear and have them accountable to you. If I don't feel like, I might not, if I live in District 2, if it shapes up to five districts, District three, one, two, three, four sorry, one, three, four, five, those residents may not have my ear if I'm not a good-hearted representative who feels like, okay, out of the goodness of my heart, even though I don't, if, whether you vote for me or not, I don't care because you don't vote, get to vote for me. You, you, uh, your complaints may fall on deaf ears. So that's another thing to consider through this uh, process. Uh, oh, let's do a little math problem because I was thinking this through. So currently there's 40,000 residents in District 2. Um, if we go down to 10,000, roughly 10 to 12,000 people per district with five districts, say you get a midterm election with a turnout of roughly 50%. So you have 10,000 residents, just for the sake of uh, round numbers, say 60% of registered voters, 10,000 residents, a lot of kids and people who aren't registered to vote. So you have 6,000 registered voters. Midterm election, you might get 3,000 people actually vote. It's not as quite as popular in a midterm election, not as energized. Well, you get 3,000 voters, say you get five candidates. Say it's a, a banner year for candidates you know, coming out for this single district. Five candidates, and then by virtue of the math, 3,000 votes split among five candidates, a candidate could conceivably win with 601 votes. And that to me doesn't represent broad-based support in a city of 53,000. Now I know the folks who are sitting here on council next to me, uh, most of them won at large. Um, and it, during an at-large election, and the numbers were more about 9, 10, 11,000 votes. They had to gain broad-based support. They had to appeal to a lot of residents. They had to listen to a, a huge cross-section of residents in order to win their seats. And I think that's important to consider, too. It takes a serious candidate who's going to go out and listen and try to gain the votes and confidence of a lot of voters. So to me, that's a huge uh, attribute of the uh, system we currently have. Um, yeah, so I think that is it. And thank you for your time. Councilmember Arnick. Thank you. Just to have a couple observations. Um, I, let me say this. 
that as a member of the larger district, I have four votes. I can elect four people. And I don't like my votes being taken from me. That doesn't feel like democracy. And for someone says, I'll have better representation because I'm gonna take your votes from you, it doesn't, does that make, is that, there any logic to that? But here we are today, and, and there's another little something I noticed, District 1. 42% of the people said, don't take their votes away just because mine were taken away. 42%. They'd already had their votes taken from them. They said, don't do it to everybody else. But here we are today, so let's figure out how we go forward. And I, I, you made some great points, Mayor, because this is something that I really hadn't factored in. But we can't keep redistricting because we've all read or some of us have read what it says here and we can't do that. So what do we do with 1,700 under construction homes they're currently under constructions. What happens to those people? And does it make more sense to hold off until those are built? Or how do we deal with that so that we are as fair as possible? So that we get the best result that we possibly can under these circumstances? Um, and that's an authentic question. I, I'm, I, when you brought it up, is, you know, I haven't had a lot of chance to process and digest this. And I certainly don't want to uh, make an off-the-cuff decision. But I think it's something to think about. And, and I must, uh, I just looked at Councilmember Nistandi, and I just couldn't agree with her more on the ranked choice voting. I can't imagine saying you get two votes and not really, I'm taking one from you. It just is not democracy. So I do agree with what uh, Council Member Nistandi said. Those are just a couple of my thoughts and I really am troubled by we're going to build a lot and how does that then work? So I think we need to take a look at that. Uh, before I offer my thoughts about districts, I want to make two things clear. The people who choose to demonstrate on El Paseo do not necessarily reflect the culture of Palm Desert. It's a public place, and people of all perspectives know a good way to get attention and press coverage is to demonstrate on El Paseo. That's the downside of creating a very attractive location. Uh, so as mayor, I want to say emphatically uh, that we respect free speech, uh, but the fact that folks choose El Paseo as the location of their demonstration does not in any way, shape, or form reflect that the city has embraced or sanctioned the message. Uh, 
Uh, secondly, I want everyone to know, particularly those who are newer to Palm Desert, that this city has a, a lasting and proud history of celebrating diversity. Palm Desert appointed the first Latino city manager in the Coachella Valley. That didn't happen in the East Valley. It happened here. One of the first Latino city managers in the state. That's a hugely prestigious and appropriately well-compensated position. Let's not forget that. And we are proud of the extent to which he did not stand alone, uh, but Palm Desert has thrived through advancing the careers of a diverse workforce. And of course, women on the Palm Desert City Council is no big deal and has been a part of our history since the beginning. Uh, so please join me in celebrating our long-standing tradition of celebrating diversity. Districts. We've heard a great deal of wisdom tonight. I could quarrel with some of the point speakers made, but every single speaker had some amount of wisdom. And I suggested putting Measure B on the ballot because we were hearing from so many speakers about this issue and it became imperative uh, to get a read on how representative the public comment speakers were. So we asked the electorate and we got a response. We do need to find some path forward uh, that respects that result. And I am hopeful uh, that we can find a path forward uh, that will garner the unanimous support of this council because that would be exceedingly healthy uh, for our city. I want to suggest a possible path uh, for discussion and consideration. There's been a great deal of talk about fairness. That map we had up on the screen showed that in the foreseeable future, the north part of our city is going to gain close to 10,000 residents. 
if we established five districts today, and each of those districts had close to 10,000 people, the probability is that less than halfway from here to the 3030 census, the district in the north would end up with twice the population of all the other districts. Do you follow me? If they're about to have an infusion of 10,000 people, and you create five districts today, in a fairly short number of years, they end up with 20,000 people, twice the residents of the other districts, but only electing a single person. And it would not be possible to correct that until after the 2030 census. That does not strike me as fair. We have this second issue to deal with of the legal hurdle of redistricting after our prior adjustment to the District 1 boundaries. So here's a possibility for consideration that addresses both of those topics. Include on the next ballot a proposed charter amendment that commits to move to districts when 60% of the projected growth uh, north of Country Club has happened. We can anticipate that that will be in the foreseeable future. Uh, and I think all the council members, including those of us who have expressed reservation about districts, recognize that there is some point at which growth warrants that kind of system. This would be a, a method of committing to the system in response to growth. Now, I don't expect it to be possible um, for all of us to agree on this or any other proposal tonight, but I would like to ask council uh, between now and our next meeting to assess the feasibility of what I just suggested uh, so that we can receive a staff report that's responsive to that. And that would 
afford time for my colleagues to think about this option. And uh, Mayor Pro Tem, I want to also invite you to think about this specific potential consequence. Uh, if this council is willing to unanimously adopt that path or some other path that commits uh, to districts at a time certain, I ask you and your co-plaintiff uh, to consider removing ranked choice voting now in exchange for that commitment. And I would not ask that of you if I felt that ranked choice voting was operating uh, progressively to give people opportunities who have not had opportunities in the past. But I would urge upon you that this experience we just had with ranked choice voting actually showed that it is doing the opposite. And let me talk about specifics. Uh, Carlos Garcia was one of our candidates in this most recent election. Terrifically sharp individual who serves on the city's finance committee. He's Latino. He lives in the north part of town. Presumably, we would want a system that gives him a full opportunity to be elected. Obviously, in a ranked choice voting environment, anyone running encourages voters to make them the first choice. Uh, so Mr. Ackerman, who was also running, and in agreement with Mr. Garcia on many issues, urged his supporters, vote for me first and vote for Mr. Garcia second. As I said, any of us running for office would urge folks to vote for us first. Well, we need to look carefully at how that played out under ranked choice voting. Because Mr. Ackerman and Mr. Truby were the last two candidates vying for the second spot. If anyone voted for Mr. Ackerman first and Mr. Garcia second, those Garcia votes were never seen nor counted. Never seen nor counted, am I right? Because of the way the rounds work. So this, this I would say is an unexpected result to the average person participating in our process. It's not helpful uh, to 
the progressive goals that have been discussed here. Um, and so I would simply ask you to consider, talk to advisors, consult with your co-plaintiff, and see if we get to the place where this council has unanimously endorsed a path that will get us to districts at a time certain. Uh, can you agree to make a part of that result dispensing with ranked choice voting? It's just produced, I think, an unexpected outcome in our most recent election. So I have asked uh, staff to come back to us with um, one body of additional information to others have thoughts, comments, questions. Mayor Pertem. Thank you, Madam Mayor. I have a lot of thoughts that have come up as I have heard my, my colleagues um, speak on their feelings and their views and while we discuss what happened in the last election and ranked choice voting, I think if we look at the budgets that each candidate spent while running, I think that makes more of an impact. If we look at who, run, who ran, what proportion of the vote they received versus their messaging. And it's very clear for anyone that has been involved in campaigns that how much you spend does matter. The amount of mailers that you can put out, the amount of signs that you can put out, the size of the signs that you're able to put out matter because voters then become familiar with your name, with your image. So I think it's unfair to simply categorize that between um, Mr. Ackerman and Mr. Garcia, being equal and a coin toss between voters, I think that is an unfair characterization. And when my colleague, um, Councilmember Truby, said that it's a threat to democracy to have uh, ranked choice voting and that, um, that it would not allow accountability to people in your district, well, essentially, you can recall somebody. That is your constitutional right as well. If you do not like your representative, you can recall them. And if there is only one single person running in your district, if they don't receive 50% of the vote, they don't get elected. You can't get elected with 13% of the vote in a single district. So that's, that's something to consider. For example, County Supervisor Manuel Perez, he ran unopposed because people thought he was doing a good job. We have a history of, of long-serving members here because people thought they were doing a good job, doesn't mean that it's because there weren't other candidates that could not raise the amount of money or had the name, of, the name recognition that already existed because of their incumbency. I, I see that we talk about um, waiting for some time until the North um, Palm Desert is developed, but unfortunately we see projects that fall through because of funding. Just because something is planned does not mean it is fully expected. We've talked about um, developments where the state doesn't provide funding, the federal grants don't come in in time, and things get delayed. You know, if, if anybody that's willing to look at the closed session agendas, you can track property addresses that are being discussed and how long they've been there before they get resolved. 
in discussing that we support um, different cultures and we have celebrations. Yes, it's, it's great to say we have a celebration, we recognize it on social media, but we're not fully recognizing and supporting our diversity. If um, I can bring up the example of when I submitted the request for a proclamation against Asian American and Pacific Islander hate, which was the result of the pandemic. And, and that resulted in a heated discussion and it was not provided. A generic statement that cites the municipal code that says we respect everyone is not the same as calling attention to directed hate to a particular group. When not long after that, we celebrate, not celebrate, but we honor Holocaust remembrance. Is that because it impacts a larger group of people, but it doesn't make it any less severe. When you see the kind of hateful and violent and brutal attacks that were happening throughout our nation. Um, I can assure you that I have spoken um, to, to other individuals when they understand ranked choice. It's not as, as confusing and when people say it's, it's confused our seniors. Well, I think it's honestly an insult to our seniors that are very capable, very bright, very intelligent, and are able to, to understand that guidance. So that to me is, is not a valid reason. We look at when we ask somebody, hey, I'm going to go to the store, I'm going to get some ice cream, what would you like? And we automatically, at least I do, say, if they don't have that, what else would you like? Maybe you'll even ask for a third one, because sometimes you know what you like is not available. So it's something that we already practice in our psychology of what would you like in which order? So that is not anything new. In fact, some of the earlier um, forms of government in our, our country did, it did have ranked choice voting. Um, I think that today's meeting was to request direction on how to move forward, and I think it's counterproductive to say our direction is to delay it again. We've asked the voters, it was an advisory measure, they responded. We owe them action. We owe them action in saying that we are looking at the future growth as we also consider annexation. We know that right now Imperial Irrigation District is holding negotiations hostage for several different entities. So we can't say we don't know how that's going to move forward. We can't say that we are guaranteeing anything until 2030 because that's not what the ballot measure said. It didn't say in a distant future, would you like to move to districts? In looking at the um, staff report that was uh, very thoroughly put together by our city clerk, and looking at some of the letters that we received, including the public comments that were made by um, I think she was Miss Julia of the ACLU, she mentioned that there is still the opportunity because as we implement the new system of redistricting District 2, that would allow us. So while we're going to get caught up in the details, it's going to allow additional delays and additional delays and additional insults to our residents because we serve the residents, the residents don't serve us as we express what we want. And this is, this is a difficult position to be in. And yes, two districts is very strange, but the reason why Ms. Lorraine Salas and I decided to take the two district settlement was because we understood 
that part of the California Voter Choice Act was that you could not protect incumbency. It was not legal to draw something to protect where you were already serving. And we felt that if the council was willing to waste taxpayer money, $953,000 were spent on this, because they did not want to comply with the law. To us, it was distressful to consider that allowing this to move forward again and again would drain millions from the city's general fund. And yes, we are a very well-run city, and I believe I contribute to that by ensuring that we were not wasting additional millions. In saying that, that we, there's the possibility of looking to, to 2030, you know, I'm, I'm concerned with that because by asking the voters for an advisory measure, it was essentially, yes, I heard you, but now go ask your dad. I've heard you, but I'm not really quite sure, and I want a second opinion. And when we're asking to delay till 2030, it's like saying, you know what, that sounds great, but let's wait till Christmas. I know you really want that, but you're gonna wait till it's a Christmas gift. And to me, that's what it feels like. I know that that's not going to be a, a, a very popular opinion. And in terms of saying that this is not democracy, that people's votes are being taken away, that in itself is distressing. If we look at our local representatives, we have Congressman Ken Calvert, he serves our region and represents us in DC. Our assembly member Wallace, he represents this region across the state. That doesn't mean that people in Sacramento can't come and say, assembly member Wallace, I, I believe that these are your values and I would like your support with. We are all entitled to seek the, the advice and representation of others. Congressman Dr. Raul Ruiz is still an advocate for the region. Congressman Mark Tacano, is a great representative for our region. And when we collaborate, we are stronger. The work that those two uh, Congress members have done for veterans, we know that has had a direct impact on our valley, in particular with the, um, that was it, the, the lung issue, the respiratory issue from the burn pits. So we understand that we would each be voted in by our district, but we would serve the entire city. I get so many emails and calls that say, I know you're not my council member, but, and my response is, yes, I am your council member. I'm here to serve every one of you. In my capacity, I can bring forward your issues. I can refer to our wonderful city staff. I simply say, I don't have the answers because that is not my subject matter. I am not the city planner. I am not public works. I can refer to our, our city manager or legal counsel as necessary. We are the intermediaries of government. So I serve the entire city. And we have to recall that the US Constitution was created to protect the voting rights of a select group of individuals. And it is my opinion that by maintaining this system, we are perpetuating that. In the time of our founding and, and the Declaration of Independence, our revolutionary time, the right to vote was established and protected for a select group of individuals. And this was wealthy Anglo-Saxon Protestants that owned land. That is who our democracy was built for. Women were specifically excluded, and those were the practicing other religions, such as Catholicism and Judaism. They were not included. And if you were an enslaved person of African descent, you did not even count as a person. You were counted as three-fifths of a person.
And that was by design because these groups of excluded individuals were considered unsophisticated enough to cast a vote as if they didn't understand how democracy was impacting them. And I think that that is one of the things that, that um, Lorraine and I understood, that making the argument that we're so well run we don't need change makes the assumption that there are not equally passionate credible, reputable, intelligent people in other parts of the city that can bring forward their talents and their intellects to increase and enhance the effectiveness and the beauty of the city. I believe that as we consider, we, we've got 4th of July coming up. That is one of our most uh, sacred traditions as a, as a nonpartisan community. And we look at what are we celebrating? We celebrate a proud day of American honor, the, the ratification of the Declaration of Independence, where colonial America had entirely different needs and was frustrated by the increase in taxes by a monarch that lived in another continent. The king didn't understand what it was like to walk around in America. He didn't understand the issues. He didn't understand the needs of one colony from another. And it took our country to make that stand and say, we're no longer going to abide by this. We look at the impact of the Townsend Acts, which increased the taxes on stamps, um, paper, and our beloved tea, so we know that's the Boston Tea Party. And that's where we get the, the cry of no taxation without representation. This is basic civics and, and why people are so committed to enacting these, or having the reenactments of these, these, um, these events. And so I am, Acknowledging that there are different needs in North Palm Desert and East Palm Desert, and voter support from these communities shows that they agree. And South Palm Desert's symbolic opposition shows a desire to maintain the decision-making power in what is pretty much as wealthy landowners. This is historic Palm Desert. This is the concentration of wealth of Palm Desert. I'm sure that if we pull the demographics, we can find the arguments to support it, the average home values of these very large homes. When we see the ads for uh, Shadow Mountain, I believe is the development, one of the, um, one of the comments or the advertisement said, we are building $40,000 40, homes and selling them for $80,000. They were building in exclusion because they wanted to ensure that only their neighbors had that kind of income and insulate themselves from others. How is disenfranchising 22% of residents and 19% of voters equitable? By refusing to adopt districts, this council is reflecting the antiquated ideas of the mid-18th century instead of acknowledging the rights of people needing to vote by district in the 21st century. How is it different to ask residents to agree to a tax increase on the purchase of common goods without dedicated representation and ignoring the clear response from voters in November? Could I comment, Mayor? Uh, let me say thank you first. And uh, Councilmember Nestante. Yes, thank you, Councilmember Cantania. I, I appreciate all your comments. I, I want to focus on two things. At the very beginning of your discussion, you used the example of ice cream, vanilla, chocolate, vanilla, or raspberry. <laughs> Can't remember what colors or flavors you said. My issue with ranked choice voting, and Anthony, correct me if I'm wrong, when you're voting for more than one person, for example, this past election, 
if you could elect two people. So if you voted for Councilmember Harnick, who won 35% of the vote, your second choice vote that you voted for, odds are you, your vote didn't count for your second choice. Is that correct? Just, just for clarity, <clears throat> in a traditional election, if you're electing two council members, you get to select two, two of the candidates. So essentially you get two votes. In ranked choice voting, you're selecting your favorite candidate, and only if that candidate has surplus votes does your a portion of your vote transfer off to someone else, but collectively, it's still only one vote. Correct. So odds are the two people that are your top two, your second choice, it, it's, it's a formula. And, it's, and so that's what I, I want to do away with ranked choice voting. And Councilmember Cantania, I'm, I'm willing to, to go to five districts only because we put it on the ballot. I didn't, I wasn't crazy about putting it on the ballot. In fact, I wanted to fight going to districts, but that's history. We put it on the ballot and the voters voted on it. So that's the issue for me. I'm open-minded if we think it's, you know, council member uh, or mayor, Kelly is making a point that maybe it's it's premature, but I don't. The last thing I want to do is disenfranchise voters. And again, I just want to underscore: I don't believe districts are a good thing. I voted no. However, the measure passed, and here All we right. are. Um, I proposed that we get feedback from staff on the feasibility of the path that I described to see if it might be a basis for a unanimous outcome after everyone has a chance to chew on it. Uh, we don't usually ask staff to work unless a majority of the council feel that that additional work would be useful. Are there others who join me in uh, thinking that that feedback would be helpful? I, I would like that feedback, thank you. I do have a quick question. So what you're asking- yeah, oh. Let's just see if there's a third. Is there a third person who would like the uh, feedback from staff that I requested? I would, yeah. Count me okay. as the third, please. And your question? I do. So what you're, what you're suggesting is that we ask staff to... Uh, Let me summarize it again. Good. And then I'll ask my question. I think I still might have yeah. the, the And the whole reason for this path is that if we created five districts tomorrow, in a short number of years, we could end up with a situation where one of those districts, the one to the north, has twice as many people as the other districts, which doesn't strike me as fair. Uh, so the proposed path would be to put on the next election a charter amendment to check that box about uh, how we deal with the legal hurdle, a charter amendment that specifies that when 60% of the projected growth in uh, North of Country Club happens, uh, 
districts will be created. And I didn't say five districts. Who knows? By that time, seven might be appropriate. But districts will be created. And I would point out that 36% of the projected growth is already under construction. It's actually happening. Uh, so the ups and downs of the development world um, still are enabling 36% of that projected growth to be in process. This terrain is not in IID's jurisdiction, but for perhaps a sliver. So I'm asking for feedback on the legal, practical feasibility of that proposed path. Is that clear? Yeah. I think you, you bring up an, an excellent point that in the future, we don't know how many districts we could end up with. So if right now we are acknowledging that five districts, as it stands right now, would be equitable, once we see that those 10,000 residents come in, those could be counted in the 2030 census, and that would allow the creating of a sixth district where that would be equitable without changing the city's charter. The staff report also indicates that we are able to make this change by municipal code. And it expresses that whether you make the change to a charter, whether we make the change to municipal code, we have options where we will face legal challenges. So at this point, I would like to see not only the different feasibility, but the extent to which each of these legal challenges could bring forward. Have these types of challenges been presented elsewhere? Have they been lengthy? Because again, I don't know how much more money we have available to keep fighting lawsuits. Just because in the stipulation, it states that I and Ms. Salas can no longer be plaintiffs, that's great. That is great. I'm happy that we got to where we are. That does not guarantee that other residents would not be willing to put in future lawsuits, which is something that I've been hearing over the last week anyway. All right. Well, in asking for feedback, I'm asking for the uh, legal, how, how, uh, to, to learn whether this path would be a clearly legal one, such that it would be done with legal disputes. And we have a majority uh, seeking that feedback before further discussion. When we get that feedback at our next meeting, we can talk about the merits. Um, uh, of course, every day, years, corrections and updates can be made. Uh, the fear I've expressed here is that districts Im implemented today would very quickly become unfair and too long a period would have to pass before the correction could happen. Um, I, so. One quick question. Yes. 
and this may be getting ahead of ourselves, and we'll hear it from the staff, I'm sure, but uh, how do you anticipate that 60% being measured? Wouldn't that have to be by census or just a gauge? That will be one of the issues cool. addressed. Okay. okay, perfect. Yeah, I'm just not sure what information staff can give us because they're going to have to predict when it, we reach 60%, and I don't know how that's really, it's just so going to be guesswork. What, I, what I'm asking for is a response as to the feasibility of this path. So we'll get that at the next meeting. Okay. We'll find out if it's feasible. Can so, I, yes. I, I just, I, I want to make a quick note because um, we've come this far. Let's do it right. More information will make a better result. So let's do it right. And if it takes a little bit longer to do it right, this is the adage, if we don't have time to do it right the first time, how will we have time to do it right the second time? Let's do it right, let's take our time, and let's get all the information we can to make sure we make the best decision for everyone. All right, may we move to the next item? Uh, item 2C is a request for out-of-state travel for Mayor Pro Tem Quintanilla to attend the Naleo 40th Annual Conference July 11 through 13, 2023 in New York, New York. Uh, Mr. Mejia, did you have a staff report? Madam Mayor, you presented the staff report. Uh, any discussion or motion? Um, I notice in it, and I, I read through it, but I noticed that this would be a recurring um, request. And it says it's a unique opportunity that is not offered in Riverside County or the state of California. I take issue with that. I think California does a great job. I think Cal Cities, CalCog, uh, SCAG, there are multiple entities that do a great job that offer this. Now looking at the attachment, the one thing we don't offer at Cal Cities is the number of sessions that were specific to New York City. So there, and there were a number of them. My suggestion is, I, I will not support this being ongoing. I, I'm looking at it as a one-time request, because when we look at this, this is a cost benefit. Will the educational opportunity be enough of a return on the investment that the Palm Desert taxpayers are paying for airfare and hotel stay in New York City. I am not willing to tie the hands of future council, and I just, quite frankly, it's one of those things, environments change, economic environments change. We need to look at this every year, and all, any and all, out-of-state travel needs to be reviewed every year. And this is another one of those emails, by, or one of these agenda items, by the way, that I got a number of emails and calls on. I just think the prudent thing to do is look at it every year. I can't support it 
and in an ongoing way. So did you want to um, move to approve the request for this year, this coming? I, I would um, hold back until I hear from my colleagues. I can support your measure to approve it for this year, and we take it each year and review. Is that your, mo is that your recommendation? That, that seems reasonable on a year-by-year -year basis. And yes. I concur. I, I would like to make it a one-off and then get some feedback upon your return and see how it went. All right. Someone move. Oh, and, I'll make a motion. <laughs> I, you know, this is an Im important thing that you're saying because you will be missing a Palm Desert City Council meeting. Is there so, a second? There is a second. Uh, please vote. Madam Mayor, before we vote tonight, you're about to yes. be approved. <laughs> well, please, let's. Mo Sorry. Motion passes uh, five to zero. Thank you. That's the last item. That's the last item this evening, so we will be adjourned. Thank you all. <laughs>